It's me. Well, hello, everyone. How are you this morning? Great. One thumb up, maybe two thumbs, who knows? Now, let me ask you this. Will it bother you if uh, during uh, the presentation I just happen to sneak down to the floor? Will that bother you? Okay. And uh, also, uh, I, are, are there some people in the back? I'm not saying you're so far away, but I just, I just wondered. So, Well, it is a joy to be with you. My name is Jim Burkett. I was telling my wife this morning that uh, this church is very special to me. Um, I knew one of your pastors, J.C. Bunn, went to, uh, went to uh, school with uh, some of his kids, uh, Will Rogers High School. And in the fall of 1970, you had a revival here at this church in November. And uh, I happen to know that you did because I was the evangelist. And here's why you are so special in terms of my family. Because you see, with the love offering that you provided, it allowed me to invite a young lady named Pamela Cornelius to fly from uh, Florida to come to Tulsa to meet my parents, where eventually I would look at her and i say, if you want a me like I like, I want a you like you like a me, or I like a you like you want a me, then I'd like to change your name or something like that. But anyway, so uh, anyway, because of this church, you might say that I was able to have Pam fly and propose to her, and, and uh, that was 48 plus years ago. And this is my wife. Honey, would you please stand? This is Pam. I met her at Southwestern uh, Baptist Seminary. She was working on two master's degrees, literally. Ended up with one master's degree in me, which I thought was a great trade. And uh, I shared that with a group of youth pastors, and one youth pastor leaned over to Pam and said, Ma'am, I think you got gypped. So, uh, anyway, well, it is a joy to be with you. I understand you're going to have Paul Taylor next week, and uh, he's a, a stellar fellow. We are classmates at OBU, and uh, uh, he really is, a, out of five stars, he really is a five-star pastor and communicator, and I really praise the Lord that uh, God's got some special things in store for you. Uh, I want to talk to you today about um, how God prepares you for your next level. Now, this is very special to me. I didn't grow up in a Christian family. Matter of fact, um, I didn't grow up far from here. Uh, 118 South Sandusky. Uh, went to Franklin Elementary, went to Wilson Junior High, went to Will Rogers High School and so forth. But I met the Lord uh, in 1960. I was getting ready to watch my favorite uh, TV show, Gunsmoke, on Saturday night. You remember Gunsmoke? And um, just as I was getting ready to watch... Uh, uh, Matt Dillon, come after the bad guy. My mother comes in and she does something very terrible. She turns the channel to this TV evangelist named Billy Graham. And so uh, I had never really understood the gospel, but he preached it. And if you remember Graham in his early days, he'd look at the camera and say, you could be at a motel, you could be at home, or uh, you, could be, uh, uh, you could be at uh, a bar. But if you'd like to receive Christ, just pray this prayer after me. So I bowed my head, I prayed the prayer. I wish I could say that I heard the thrill, the fill, or the angels singing, but all I can tell you is that I knew something had happened on the inside of me. And uh, uh, obviously that was a defining moment for me spiritually. But um, God, uh, later on my senior year, called me into the ministry uh, when I was a senior at Will Rogers High School. Uh, I'm telling you, I was shocked that he did that. I think Gabriel was shocked that he did that. But nonetheless, uh, I did enter into the ministry, went to OBU, and that's a whole different story. But um, I want to tell you, I prayed for you this morning. There's three things that I pray 
uh, when I come to a church. And, and if you don't mind, could I just go ahead and tiptoe down here? Is that all right? Okay. Can, can you all still see me back there? Okay, I know I look like Sean Connery to some of you, but, but just, just know that it's, it's not really him. So, so here, here's the thing I want you to know. I, I prayed, first of all, that God would give you intellectual truths, biblical truths that will be fused to your mind. Now, why would I pray that? Well, Paul said in Romans 8, 5, He who sets his mind on the things of the flesh will walk according to the flesh, and he who sets his mind on the things of the Spirit will walk according to the Spirit. Now, why is that significant? Because both the Old and especially the New Testament tell us if we want to understand why a person does what they do, we need to see what their thinking process is. Uh, my wife's husband has this little saying, and it goes something like this. You must think like a Christian in order to believe like a Christian, in order to behave like a Christian, in order to do God's will. Can I say that again? Well, let's rewind that then. You must think like a Christian in order to believe like a Christian, in order to behave like a Christian, in order to do God's will. Now, why is this important to understand? Because the Bible teaches that you and I were created to think. I know that the emphasis in the American church is, oh, we want our young people, we want our church members to be able to just have a heart for God. But... <clears throat> All of us need a mind for God. Jesus said this, Matthew 21, Love the Lord your God with uh, all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and with all your mind. Uh, why is that? We were created to think. We were created to think God's thoughts. Paul wrote to the Corinthians and said, We have the mind of Christ. He wrote to the Colossians and said, Set your mind on the things above where Christ is. And not only that, we were created to think God's thoughts so that we could be changed. I, I, I don't know if you, you're one of those church members that have this feeling, well, uh, you know, I don't want to change. That's, that's not coming from me. That's coming from the head of this church, Jesus Christ. Jesus wants you to be changed into your purpose. I mean, He wants your perspective to go from circumstance orientation to heaven orientation. I think that's pretty good. Uh, he wants you to go from despair to encouragement. I mean, do you really want to live in despair? I'm not going to take a survey here, but I want to tell you, God wants your thinking to change. And not only that, He wants you to understand that you're here for a purpose, not just a case of Ross or all, whatever it will be, but you are here according, on purpose according to Ephesians 2.10. For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Uh, we have a purpose that we're to fulfill uh, uh, with our lives. So the first thing I'm praying is that God will take biblical truth and fasten it to your mind. Secondly, I'm praying that the Holy Spirit will stir your hearts with a sense of His presence. We're going to look at some information here, but can I, can, I just, can I just be honest with you? You know, I'm not here to pop in, pop off, and pop out. I'm really trying to communicate something here to you. God wants to speak to you this morning. And we can go through sermon series and even church programs and we can get head knowledge, but unless the Holy Spirit illuminates your heart, it will not really connect with you. I'm asking God to so stir you that you'll have this sense, oh my goodness, this is applicable to me. Oh my goodness, this is applicable to my purpose and my decision making, how I see myself and so forth. Third thing I'm praying is that God will speak to your heart and that the Lord Jesus will, 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 will just beckon you to align your will to His Lordship. Again, I, I just want to be honest with you. I've been in the ministry 50 plus years. Um, folks, 
<clears throat> the last thing that we need are Bible-quoting Christians who have a heart of sedition or rebellion. We need Christians to say, God, I'm willing to follow you and to bring all my thoughts under your control. Am I making any sense? Okay. Now, there's one other thing. I don't know what to call it. I didn't learn this in graduate school. I call it the Burkitt Existential Manifesting Ministry of the Holy Spirit. And you're probably going to see speaking in tongues, or what is it? What does that mean? Well, like I said, I've been in the ministry 50 years, pastored 34 years in university settings. Uh, matter of fact, in Athens, Georgia, I taught at one of the colleges uh, uh, near the University of Georgia and also pastored an inner city black church. And uh, uh, it was very interesting to see the gospel works in every setting, whether you're, you're with a highly educated group or whether you're from the inner city or whatever. But I want you to understand that <clears throat> I've really asked the Lord that if there's something He wants me to leave out in this presentation, fine. If there's something He wants me to add, fine. Uh, I want to warn you ahead of time that if, if I'm sharing and all of a sudden it seems like there's a sense of unction, I don't have anything in my notes that says show unction here. Or sometimes I, 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 show a, I, I share a story and sometimes, I don't know why, I get a little weepy, but I don't have anything here that says cry here. I want you to understand, I've really asked God to speak to you. And you say, well, what would he have to say to me because after all, I'm such and such age. Well, I want to tell you, God is an equal opportunity beckoner, regardless of whether you're three years old like uh, uh, Samuel or whether you're 80 plus or 106, uh, I mean 110, uh, like, uh, like Joshua. I'm going to start with <clears throat> Joshua 5, I mean uh, Luke 5, and I want you to stay with me on this. Um, and, and again, we're looking at how God prepares you for your next level. Now it happened while the crowd was pressing around him and listening to the word of God that he was standing by the lake and he saw two boats lying at the edge of the lake but the fishermen had gotten out of them and were washing their nets. And he got into one of the boats which was Simon's. Stop. Um, you know Luke? They say Luke wrote the, the Bible. Luke was the great physician. Uh, I'm sure he would have great fellowship with uh, you and and uh, you, could, you could talk about, uh, uh, you know, medical practices and so forth. But here's the thing. I want to know, Luke, who many consider the best historian of the first century, if not the best, one of the best, um, did he just happen to say, he got into one of the boats, which was Simon, as just kind of a, just so you might be interested in knowing this, or was there something more to him making that comment I got into a boat which happened to belong to Simon. Anyway, he asked Simon to put out a little way from the land, and he sat down and began teaching the people from the boat. So here he is, he's teaching. The thing about Jesus when he teaches, it's life-giving teaching. When he teaches, people show up. I mean, you can look through all the scriptures. I mean, the place gets crowded. They stay for hours. And so here we see that he begins to teach. And then look at verse 4. When he'd finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Now isn't that interesting? He's finishing preaching and then all of a sudden he stops and he looks at Simon Peter and makes a statement and gives him a directive. That's sort of like, I'm preaching to you today and I finish my message and I say, Vanessa, God has a word for you. Uh, Doc, God has a word for you. Uh, Joan, God has a word for you. Uh, Joan, God has a word for your boyfriend. I mean... I, <laughs> Uh, well, what I'm trying to say is, it's kind of unusual, isn't it? I mean, there's nothing in the bullet that says, Pastor is going to speak and address you personally. 
So, again, I wonder, why did he do that, all right? Simon answered and said, Master, we worked hard all night and caught nothing. I mean, he kind of sounds like a Baptist, doesn't he? I mean, he's tired. He doesn't show much faith. But then notice what he says. He says, but I will do as you say and let down the nets. When they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish and their nets began to break. Now empty, an empty boat becomes a full boat. Empty nets become a full net. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat for them to come and help them. They came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw that, he fell down at the feet of Jesus saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For amazement had seized him and all of his companions because of the catch of fish which they had taken. So also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not fear, from now on you will be catching men. When they had brought their boats to the land, they left everything and followed him. (coughs) Now let me just say this. In the other Gospels, when I see that Jesus says to some of the disciples, Come and follow me. It says they just kind of drop their nets, leave their boats, and follow Jesus. Can can I be honest with you? If my daughter came to me and said, "Uh, Dad, this guy that that has been wanting to marry me, he's he's traveling with this preacher. Oh, oh, did he he make plans to do it? No, the preacher just said, come and follow me, and he just dropped his nets and just followed his... As a father, would you have questions about that guy? I mean, I would. Because you see... um, we realize if, if someone makes a decision that drastic, usually there's a cause. Now the Gospels, <coughs> excuse me, each of them are different. They give a slice of reality so that we get a complete complementary picture. And this is what I believe Luke does. So we see this action, but I wonder, is there something that we're missing? So with that in mind, I want us to turn to Luke 4. Now Luke 4 is before Luke 5, if you've been counting Okay, and I want you to go to verse 31 of Luke 4. And in Luke 4, verse 31, it says, And he, Jesus, came down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were amazed at his teaching, for his message was with authority. Now, you remember, Jesus taught at the, at the seashore, and people were crowding. So many people were coming, and they were pushing him into the water, and that's why he got into the boat. And now here he is at the, in, in the synagogue, and he's teaching, and people are stunned because he's teaching with authority. They've not heard this kind of teaching before. And then something happens that's unexpected. It's not even in the uh, synagogue bulletin. In the synagogue, there was a man possessed by the spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, Let us alone! What business do we have with each other, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Now, I want to tell you something. I want to tell you something. When you be a little shocked, when you be a little startled, I mean, it's one thing you're just kind of impressed about, well, man... This guy can really teach. But then all of a sudden, a, a demon-possessed man stands up and uh, kind of gets your attention. What do you have to do with us? Now, here's the interesting thing. Look what happens next. Jesus rebuked him and saying, Be quiet and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in the midst of the people, he came out of him without doing him any harm. Verse 36. Now, look at this. And amazement came upon them all, and they began talking with one another, saying, What is this message? 
For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out, and the report about him was spreading into every locality in the surrounding area. So, this is not your normal Sabbath service. Jesus comes and he preaches with authority, and then he demonstrates he has authority over demons. Wow. Now, if you ever decide, I start to say, if you ever go to Lifeway, uh, you, you, only, you only have till May 31st, and Lifeway stores will be closed in Tulsa, Oklahoma City. Don't know if you've heard that. But if you go to Mardell's, let's say Mardell's, and uh, you ask for the Burkett Reference Bible, and, uh, you know, we can say it by faith, but if you look in the Burkett Reference Bible to this passage, uh, you'll notice that it says uh, uh, in the margin, it'll say, Simon Peter was at that synagogue service. Now, why is that so significant that Simon, and how, why would you say such a thing like that? Well, let's look at the very next verse uh, that we finished. Notice verse 38. Then he, Jesus, got up and left the synagogue and entered Simon's home. Now, Simon's mother-in-law was suffering with a, from a high fever, and they asked him to help her, and standing over her, he rebuked the fever, and it left her, and she immediately got up and waited on them. So I want you to get the scene here. So Simon Peter was in the synagogue, and Simon Peter was there, and Simon Peter heard Jesus speak or, uh, to teach. So he hears Jesus teach, and like everyone else, he's taken back, and then he's there when the demon manifests himself, and he sees Jesus cast this demon out with authority. Now, what do you think Simon is saying? I mean, we didn't study that in synagogue uh, vacation Bible school. I mean, I, I can't believe that this has happened. I think it's got, it's got, his, it got his attention up. And then he, he invites Jesus to come to his house. His mother-in-law is sick with a fever. And then he watches Jesus go and, and, and speak to the fever and his mother-in-law. And the mother-in-law is healed instantly and she gets up and serves him. Do you think he's impressed? Now, 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 I want you to understand something. I want you to understand that if your Jesus that you're worshiping is not like this Jesus, you're worshiping the wrong Jesus. If your Jesus does not have that kind of authority, you're worshiping the wrong Jesus. If your Jesus is more like Mr. Rogers or, or Captain Kangaroo, you're worshiping the wrong Jesus. We're talking about the Lord God Almighty, the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And oh, by the way, that Jesus has a plan for your life. You are here for a purpose. So anyway, I have a low excitement level. Please forgive me. I just, it just happens that way. So thank you for the amen. We're, we're, we're going to have an amen workshop, and, and Vanessa's going to lead it. Okay? So uh, go thou and, and do likewise. So, but now I want you to see. So... Now, it's, it's, at, it's at the conclusion of the Sabbath. Look at verse 40. While the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases and brought them to him and laying hands on them, laying hands on each one of them, he was healing them. Demons also were coming out of, of many shouting, you are the Son of God, but rebuking them, he would not allow them to speak because they knew him to be the Christ. So I want you to get the picture. Here's Simon. <clears throat> He's in the synagogue. He hears Jesus speak with authority. He sees Jesus has authority over the demons. Then he invites him to his, to his house. He sees that Jesus has authority over the fever, over his mother-in-law. And then 
the sun sets and now it's no longer the Sabbath, people can begin to talk. And so here, here is Simon Peter. And Simon Peter, all of a sudden, he sees all these people heading to his house. He probably said to his wife, did we say we we're going to have a fellowship tonight? I mean, what, what's the deal? Uh, we, we don't have any, any bagels. And so, uh, but he sees them. And notice, it says, while the sun was setting, all who had any who were sick with various diseases were brought to him. I mean, they're coming from every direction. Now, I want to ask you something. Do you think that, uh, uh, that he said, Simon said to Jesus, you know, Jesus, I know that this is your ministry. And, and just be quite honest with you, I, I'm really kind of tired. You know, we worked all night long. Um, and, and, and he'll say that eventually. But, but, but Jesus, I'm just kind of tired. I'm going to go into the front room, and you just go ahead. You feel free to do that. Or do you think Simon really wanted to see the ministry of Jesus in operation? And so uh, I imagine that here, here comes a man, and uh, he's blind. He sees Jesus heal the blind man. Here's somebody who's deaf, and he, hear, he sees the, the deaf man able to hear. Uh, he sees someone walking with a limp, and all of a sudden, that man is healed. Uh, all of a sudden, he sees the demons are extruded. Uh, all of a sudden, he sees that people's needs are being met uh, physically and psychologically. I, I have a feeling that Simon was there, and his eyes were large, and his eyes were big. I imagine he's just saying, I, I can't believe this. I've never heard of this. I've never, never seen this before. Could this, this, could, could this actually be happening? Wouldn't you be saying the same thing? All right, just thought I'd throw that out. Got awfully quiet. Got awfully quiet, okay? All right, it's still awfully quiet, awfully quiet. That could be a good sign or a bad sign, okay? Now, we go to verse 5 again, I mean chapter 5. Now we see it looks like there has been something that's happened before Jesus uh, begins to teach at the seashore. Now it happened that while the crowd was pressing around him, there they are again, and listening to the word of God, he was standing by the lake and he saw two boats lying at the edge of the lake, but the fishermen had gotten out of them and were washing the nets, and he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's. Stop, stop, wait a minute, wait a minute. If he's been in Simon's house, if he knew that Simon was in the, the synagogue, if he knew that Simon heard him teach, and he knew that Simon heard him cast the demon out, and he knew that Simon witnessed the, the healing of his mother-in-law and saw that all-night healing marathon taking place, I wonder, I just wonder, I wonder if there's the possibility that Jesus purposely got into Simon's boat. It's almost like maybe Jesus is setting him up. Yeah. Whoa, whoa, Kimasaba. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. Because it uh, could be that God may be wanting to set you up. Oh, He only does that to preachers. Oh, really? Oh, He only does that to missionaries. Oh, really? Oh, He only does that to, 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 to well, surely not me. Oh, really? Oh, well, I'm just a has-been. You mean like Moses? Oh, well, you know, I've done so many terrible, bad things. You mean like uh, Saul of Tarsus? Wrote one-third of the New Testament. You mean that background? I just wonder if there's a possibility that he's setting Simon up because notice what happens next. Notice now, 
He gets into a boat that belongs to Simon, asking to put out a little way from the land. He sat down, began teaching the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, here it comes. Notice he didn't say to anyone else. He didn't say it to any, any of his brothers. He didn't say to any of the other fishermen. He said it right to Simon. He, 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 he finishes teaching, and then it just stops. I mean, they don't teach you this in seminary. They don't say, now, really embarrass somebody and speak directly to them. No. We call that a rhema word. There's two words in the, in the, in the New Testament for, that are spelled W-O-R-D. One is logos. You know that refers to Jesus in, in John 1. In the beginning was the Word, or the Logos, and Logos was with God, and Logos was God. Verse 14, and the Logos became flesh and dwelt among us. It also means uh, the past declarative statements of God. H.A. Ironside at Moody Bible years ago said it's the said Word of God. But then there's Rhema. Uh, Rhema uh, is used uh, 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 you know, dozens of times in the New Testament. And here's what, uh, again, H.A. Ironside said, Rhema is a saying word. Uh, a rhema word can only apply to one person or one family or one group. It's not general. It's not universal. And so when, when, when Jesus looks at him and says, Simon, uh, push, your, your, push your boat into the deep and cast your net, uh, that was a personal word. He wasn't speaking to anyone else. We see the same word, for example, uh, after angel Gabriel uh, speaks to Mary, Mary made this comment and said, uh, Lord, let it be done unto me according to your word. She didn't say, Lord, let it be done according to your logos. Uh, she said, let it be done according to your rhema. In other words, what, he announced, what, what Gabriel announced to her was not a general announcement. In other words, there was not who wants to be the mother of the Messiah contest in that area. There was only one Mary, one word, one direction that she was to receive. Or like the, the, uh, the armor of God in Ephesians. Uh, it talks about, uh, you know, uh, that the sword of the Spirit, uh, which is the Word of God. I used to think uh, that uh, when it talks about, you know, taking the fiery darts of the enemy, you take your Bible, the Logos, and, and hit those darts back like playing ping pong. But then I discovered it's not Logos. That fiery, that, that, that word that translated there is Rhema. Uh, God wants you, to, with the words that He's told you are from Him, to take that word and use it as a sword and say to the enemy of your soul, no, God has, settled, has said it to me and that settles it for the direction of my life. Yeah. See, that would have been, you all could have joined her. That would have been a great amen chorus, right? Amen? Oh, come on, guys. You better say amen or I'll sing. You've got some glass windows in the back, all right? Okay. All right. But now, here's what I want you to take note of. Simon answered and said, Master, we worked hard all night, caught nothing, but I will do as you say and let down the nets. Verse 6, when they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish and their nets began to break, so they signaled, verse 7, to their partners in the other boat for them to come and help them. And they came and filled both of the boats so that they began to sink. Now all of a sudden, uh, empty boats and empty nets now are full boats, sinking boats, that now nets that are breaking nets. And what kind of response do we see that Simon has, notice verse 8, when Simon Peter saw that, he fell down at the feet of Jesus saying, go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For amazement had seized him and all of his companions because of the catch of fish which they had taken. It's the same word amazement that's used when Jesus is walking on water and he's walking to the disciples. I mean, <clears throat> I could understand if, if Simon had been trained in a little American ingenuity and Simon saw both boats uh, 
uh, being filled in both Ned's brain. I, I imagine he'd go, you know, Jesus, I, I really like this. Listen, this is going to help our bottom line. Do you think you could do this maybe at least once a month? I mean, can you see some entrepreneurs saying something like that? So, he doesn't say that, but, but I want you to notice Simon's response. He fell down at the feet of Jesus saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. He had been prepped at the synagogue in his house. He witnessed an all-night healing marathon. And now he realized this is no ordinary man. Even the demons and disease obey him. And notice what happens next. For amazement had seized him and all of his companions because of the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, now hold on, hold on. I would have understood it if Jesus had been a legalist. Jesus had, uh, had uh, and Simon falls down. If Jesus had been a legalist, crossing his arms and saying, I've been trying to tell you, Simon, you are a scoundrel. You, I mean, you are a sinner, capital letters. I mean, wouldn't that make sense in the minds of some people? But here's what I want you to take note of. And, and by the way, everything until this time has all been introduction. And here's the introduction. I think you'll get it. Listen. Notice he says, do not fear from now on you will be catching men. Listen to me. Listen. Listen carefully. It's interesting that Almighty God in Jesus Christ does not point to His past, but points to His purpose. Hmm. Four questions every person needs to answer. First question is, does God exist? I teach Christian evidences. I'm the director, founder of the Oklahoma School of Apologetics and Practical Theology. That's what I do. I provide evidences so people can know beyond a shadow of a doubt it's true. It's all true. God exists. Science confirms that. Uh, I've got a slew of interviews with uh, scientists with PhDs and so forth. It's all true. The Bible, I'm telling you what, uh, so many people are now coming to the realization that the Bible is not just an ordinary book, but it's confirmed by archaeology and confirmed by manuscript evidence and statistical proof. Uh, the, the, the case for the deity of Christ is out the window. I just read this past week uh, where another professor, PhD in natural physics, uh, found out that God, God not only exist, but uh, uh, that uh, uh, the, the origin of the universe did not come by random chance creation. And uh, she, she has eventually come to Christ. So does God exist? Yes. Here's the second question we usually ask, and that is this. Uh, does God, does God uh, really care? And the idea with this question is, well, does he care like, you know, for his creation? Because there's some people that say, they're, they're, we call them deists, they say, well, God started the universe, he created the universe, and then he just walked away and uh, lets things run on their own. But no, the Bible teaches God cares for his creation. Here's the third question. Does God care for me? Because it makes a little bit different perspective if you know that God personally cares for you. 
I want to tell you how much He cares for you. He knows how many hairs are on your head. I know for some of us, it'd be very easy for Him to do. Others, it'd take a little bit more time. But I hope that you're grabbing a hold of this. The Jesus that we worship is not a legalist. The Jesus that we worship came for the strict purpose of your being redeemed and redeemed for your purpose. Is this making any sense? Then the fourth question we have to ask, well, if I'm created for, for God's purpose, God, how can, I, how can I connect with you so that I align myself with that purpose? It, it, is this making any sense? Is this making any sense? Okay. Now, in just a moment, I'm going to pray. I want to pray for you personally. Uh, ask the Holy Spirit to speak to each person. And then I want to pray for you as a church. And uh, I could be wrong, but, but if, I was a, if, if I was to take a survey and I said, uh, on a thermometer, where would you, you know, how do you feel about, uh, you know, God's direction? You think that, uh, you know, uh, God might really want to use our church in a most significant way and and that would indicate maybe where you're at in terms of talking to God about this and so on and so forth. Well, first of all, um, I, I'm going to pray for you, and I, I really ask that the Holy Spirit will really speak to you. But I want to challenge you with everything that's within me. I'm telling you there are churches that are in situations that you'd say to yourself, man, we're doing pretty good compared to them. And when they found out what God wanted, I mean, extraordinary things are happening. Now, Hillview Baptist Church in Bowling Green, uh, uh, um, Kentucky, is that right? Wherever Bowling Green is, Kentucky, there we go, I think so. Anyway, Hillview uh, Baptist Church, uh, they had an auditorium that seated, I think, about 800. They got down to 25. And... um, so they, the, the deacons and their leaders got together and said, well, what do we do? Do we meet one more time and uh, just kind of, you know, we can't go any further? Or, or, or do we just, what do we do? And, and, and one of the deacons had a great idea. It was, let's pray and ask God. What a novel thought. That's tremendous. Do you agree with that? Okay, all four of you. Okay, that's good. All right, so they did that. The next week, there was a young man, early 30s, just finished seminary. He was aware of that church for years, and he just, he just had such a heart for that church. And so he asked the chairman of the deacons, can I come in and can I, can I just speak? And um, so they said, well, sure. And he, said, and, he, and he said, I just really believe God wants me to be your pastor. And I would just like for you to realize I'm not talking about dictatorship, pastoral leadership, and, and that we come together and just claim that for the Lord. And so one of them said, what do we have to lose? I mean, in that statement of faith. <laughs> but do you know uh, they did that? 20 years later, they're running about 5,000. Um, there was another church, kind of similar situation. They got down to about 20. And they figured they had enough money to last for maybe 20, 25 weeks. And so uh, there they are, they were talking about it, and they were just having a discussion, not a service. And they said, 
well, listen, if we're going to have to you know, disband and, and so forth, at least let's do something together where we can build a memory. And so uh, they, someone said, well, let's do, let's do Henry Blackaby's Experiencing God. Now, if you've never gone through that, you need to. Uh, sometime, at the right time. So they went through Henry Blackaby's Experiencing God, and uh, one, of the fir- one of the first couple of things that really came was where uh, Henry Blackaby said, God is always at work around you. Uh, try to find out where he's at work and see if uh, he wants you to join him. So they're going, you know, so they're going through, the, through that. And, and about the third week, uh, the lady that kind of, you know, she's kind of the caretaker. She was looking at things that were happening in, around the church, taking care of it. Well, then all of a sudden, uh, she's outside and, and the manager of an apartment complex across the street comes, kind of a large apartment complex, comes over and says, uh, uh, listen, I just want to ask, uh, this is your church, and real quick, I just want to ask uh, uh, if you could help me. Uh, a, a lot of the single moms are, uh, uh, they're, they're not working because their company's on strike, and, I, and so th- here's their children, and uh, don't know how to handle the children, uh, until they get back, and I just wondered, could you could you all do something after school, and uh, do something? Matter of fact, you could use our apartment uh, clubhouse, and and so uh, the lady she was thinking, yeah, sure, yeah, right, uh-huh. and so she goes, she shares what they want, and before anybody can say no, one of the deacons said, well, you know what Henry Blackaby said. We need to see where God's at work, and let's see what happens. So they prayed. God said yes. So they started this. Now, now hold on, hold on. They started this, and they as a, and soon the children started coming. Start start. They ministered to the children, and within two weeks, all of a sudden, where they had no visitors, here came a single single mom uh, with a couple of kids. Uh, within about three or four weeks, soon they had a half a dozen single moms and some kids, and uh, they were just. I mean, it was life. It was life. Don't be scared of little kids. I mean, that's why Walmart sells, you know, tranquilizer guns. So anyway, <laughs> what I'm trying to say here is this. It's all right to laugh in church, isn't it? Okay. All right. So, so as they were doing this, a drug addict comes to church. And after the service, he goes to the chairman of the deacons. And says, I need help. I really need bad help. And I saw that you helped those those uh, ladies and those uh, uh, those families and and I'm telling you I I need help I'm afraid I'm going to die do you have is there anything that you can do well they didn't have a celebrate recovery but they called the church and they said yes we'll be glad to start a chapter they started a celebrate recovery of course he was the first one but you know within just a few weeks they had several addicts that were coming to church and receiving Jesus by the time they uh, the 25 weeks were up they had over a hundred people. Wow, are are y'all sensing something here? I mean, do you think maybe God is setting you up? I mean, and and to hear that Paul Taylor is going to be here next week, oh, Lord, have mercy. (laughs) I'm telling you. And oh, by the way, I understand you have nice facilities too. Oh, I've heard something like 80% of the people within five miles of this church are unchurched. Whoa! <laughs> Sounds like a mission field to me. So, um, now, do y'all still love me after that? I mean, you're not upset at me. You can tell I, I have a low excitement level and I like to use humor and so on and so forth. So, But I want to pray for you individually and as a church. I don't want you to discount what has happened in the past. People make mistakes all the time. 
uh, God's people, they do dumb things. Don't feel bad because I've done dumb things, and you probably have too. Amen? Oh, this is really weak. I thought you'd all stand up and say, that's me, you're describing me, and so on and so forth. But I do want to pray for you right now. Would you bow your heads? And while I'm praying, I want to ask, if you're here and you'd say, Jim, would you pray for me? There's some issues that I'm dealing with. Would you just pray for me? And if that's you, would you just raise your hand right up, right back down, um, not to embarrass you, all right? Anyone else? Anyone else? All right, thank you. Anyone else? Lord, I lift up my sister. I lift up my sisters. Lord, I lift up those right now. They realize that uh, your spirit is speaking. I don't know their need, but you do. So I ask that you just, uh, you just touch every arena of their life, uh, physically, spiritually, psychologically, financially, relationally. And Lord, let them know that you, you love them and care for them. Lord, I do lift up this fellowship. I ask, Lord, that you bring a, a new sense of vision and excitement that they understand you are not finished with them and this fellowship. So I thank you in Jesus' name. Now, the, 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 the instrumentalists are going to come to the front. I don't know if it's your custom to have a, a, an altar call, is it? Okay, if you come to the front. And if you're physically able, would you please stand? And if you sense the need to come to the front and be prayed for, uh, we have people that will pray with you. I'll be glad to pray with you. My wife is here. And uh, if not, you just, you just come as God says. And, uh, and ladies, if you would lead us, and uh, uh, let's bow our heads. Father, you speak. Take full charge of this right now, this altar call in Jesus' name.